Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. and welcome to another edition of uh basketball i'm sean woodley i'm katie heindel and today's show is brought to you by rasheed wallace who on this day back in 2007 missed the pistons game against the la clippers because he was suspended for getting too many technical fouls turns out they didn't need him to beat the terrible la clippers they won 98 80 anyway the starting, the opening line, the lead of the ESPN Associated Press recap of this game reads, Rasheed Wallace's latest suspension came at a perfect time for the Los Angeles Clippers. They just weren't able to take advantage because the rest of the Pistons were too much to handle. Um, weird to start with the suspended guy as the as the lead, but hey, I, I'm not a writer in 2007. This is still in the Rasheed Wallace is misunderstood and uh, improperly cast as some sort of villain time. Uh, Katie, what do you think about Rashid Wallace and his many suspensions for getting too many texts? I don't like this portrayal. You know what I mean? No, it's we bad. know already. Yeah. yeah, we know already he was unfairly um, portrayed as like a, I don't know, a tech, a tech man, tech, mm-hmm. <laughs> tech guy. I don't. I'd like someone to go back. I would love um, for someone independently. I would. I would. You know, an independent investigation, not the league to go back and look at every call available um, on video. So maybe we will need Javi for this. He's got nothing better to do locked in there. This room. is what Top Shot's for, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and to make a new, like an updated call. Was this a tech? You know, was this just him like mm. stretching, like speaking in his normal speaking voice, which is a, probably a little bit loud on court. Uh, so I don't I don't like this. I don't like it at all. No, it's bad. Uh, and of course, being against the sports cops is always the right side of history to be on. So 
Shout out to Rashid Wallace. Uh, I was going to go with a, a one-year anniversary, Katie, of what Rashid Wallace was doing on this day in 2020. But of course, it was probably the same thing that the rest of us were doing, which was freaking the fuck out as the before <laughs> times came to an end and the after times began. Uh, of course, Katie, this is the one-year anniversary of the NBA shutting down, thus sort of signaling the official beginning of the pandemic, even though it had kind of been in the conversation for well over a month at that point. Uh, this episode is going to be very reflective, I think, Katie. We're going to look back at the last year. We're going to look at all of the horrors. We're going to try to pull some positives in our segment we're trying out this week. That's basically going to be the crux. But I, I do think it's worth pointing out, Katie, that we're also right around the one-year anniversary of the official recording of the pilot of this podcast. We recorded an episode that is lost to history, will never be heard by anybody outside of us and producer Dylan and Clay. Uh, where we like did a full episode, I believe March 9th, 2020 in studio. Last time I saw you in person and last time I saw, I think any people in person, really, uh, we did an episode about like the weirdness that will be games with no fans. And I think there was a Kyrie Irving thing in there as well. It was very bizarre. Uh, and thinking back to it, we just like missed the mark as to what was coming very, very soon. Understandably <laughs> so. Um, but do, what are your recollections of our pilot episode, Katie? Do you, th- you remember thinking this is the last time I'm going to see Sean's dumb face for forever? <laughs> no. But didn't we make some joke? We, we made some joke about like who who would be the first player didn't we make some joke? We were like, it's going to be Rudy Gobert. And then we were like, yeah. we can't say that. Like, that's <laughs> terrible. Like, we can't. Yeah. Why are we even talking about this? Uh, and, then it was, <laughs> and then it was. Yeah. It happened the same day that he touched all the mics. Is yes. uh, I believe that like directly then, informed our, our podcast. Like every dum-dum, we were also like, well, well, we'll probably just deal with this for about two weeks. And then uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be back here in studio <laughs> in very close quarters, like yelling across from one another. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't say I expected that to be the last time I'd see people. It was the last time I also took public transit, uh, which was a weird thing. I was on a bus from Toronto to Hamilton just thinking, oh, this is uh, uncomfortable. And I wish I had a mask right now as I went maskless through a closed space for an hour. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of feelings, Katie. <laughs> I, I, I'm having a hard time sort of recalling all that took place over the last year and uh, just uh, reckoning with everything i think it's going to take everybody a long time if if it ever happens to reckon with everything that's gone on uh, but it's uh this is going to be a spirally episode i think it's safe to say i do want to ask you katie are you <laughs> right now um are you sort of reflecting on the importance of rudy gobert and the fact that him touching all the mics then testing positive actually saved the world and saved millions of lives by uh making people realize the virus was real this is the most whack thing i think i'm hearing this week of like the the rekindling of that and it's like oh remember rudy gobert made everyone aware of the virus as though it wasn't going to happen anyway and he's like lauded as some that. sort of hero for being a dipshit. <laughs> Maybe it's just jazz fans doing it and doing oh. jazz fan things. But I have seen that take float around, which is like, remember when Rudy Gobert, it's like fell on the sword and made everyone realize how bad this was. No, no, no. He was just an a asshole touching people's canary mics. In the coal mine, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny to look back on that because like my feelings about it 
I don't think they've changed very much. Like, I don't think hindsight alters no. too much. Uh, <laughs> like, a it's part of me is stupid. like, okay, you want to make like a joke of something to maybe, you know, lighten, lighten the feeling in the room. But at that time, especially, like, everyone was so scared and there was like no sense of what was happening, how long it would last, how serious it was, you know? So it hasn't aged well, really, for mm -mm. poor Rudy. Um, no. But I will say, I don't know that I agree with that perspective, but for me, like, I think I've seen a lot this week, people talking about what, for them, kind of marked the the end of life, I guess, as they knew it, right? And the start <laughs> of the pandemic for them, because I think that that's different wherever you live. But for me, it was the NBA shut down. Uh, it was sort of watching that very lurching um, feeling of like, okay, it stopped. And then the weird announcement, like the weird announcers being like, everyone is safe. <laughs> like, mm. please leave. Um, and then I think the same day, Tom Hanks testing positive uh, for coronavirus yes. also really drove it home for me what was going on. Tom Hanks and then Chet Hanks's reaction. Of course, I've been calling this Chet Hanks Day. It's, uh, I think, the only no, proper moniker for the day going I forward. I don't think I ever saw that, and I won't look into it. But it was, for me, when it got real was, yeah, Tom Hanks and the NBA. And then when it mm -hmm. got really real was probably, what, a few weeks from now, when my parents were stuck in the South Pacific. <laughs> oh, yeah, sucked. that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> been yeah. a year been a year the one thing that i remember from that day so vividly um i remember like getting the news we were driving home from like michael's or something when we got the news that the thunder and jazz game had been canceled and mm -hmm. it was not long after that shams tweeted the season's been suspended and i distinctly remember watching the second half of the hornets heat game that was going on that night because they were finishing out that game. And I remember like the announcers didn't say anything about what had been happening elsewhere. And there was just like this weird sort of purgatory game sort of existing in this in-between time. And it was kind of beautiful. Like it's just the Hornets and Heat playing a basketball game with no care in the world. I'm sure people knew behind the scenes and knew on the benches what was going on elsewhere and that the season had been suspended. But the broadcasters made no mention of it whatsoever. And uh, I believe I still have that saved on my PVR going back a year, like the second half of that game. And I'm considering maybe just going back and watching it as like this little reprieve from everything after all the news had broken that day. Very bizarre stuff. Um, did you watch that game? With your boy, Jimmy? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Did I watch that last game? No, because the game that sticks out for me was, because wasn't the same night also the Hawks played because it was Vince Carter's last game? Yes, um, that was also that, and there, yeah. And that was also kind of like a beautiful, weird moment, stuck in time. Mm -hmm. And everyone seemed to just be like, eh, well, this huge this huge disaster seems to be in the middle of happening, but let's not, yeah. we're not going to honor that. And Vince <laughs> Carter is actually like, I think I wrote on this when I wrote his like big retrospective piece on him in the summer, mm -hmm. but he puts up that like last shot 
from from like forever away and he just looks so happy and it's very yeah. weird and strange to watch it like this guy's career come to an end when like yeah the rest of the world is is closing in it like on everything in very real time um but but it's if you can go back and watch the the last because there's clips of like the last i'd say five minutes of that game that yeah. i watched over and over for that story but in watching them were very soothing and very calming i also remember myself not believing that that was vince carter's last game because it Mm -hmm. was march 11th and i know i was thinking about the schedule and the raptors were about to play the hawks like coming up in like four or five weeks it might have been their last game of the season actually in like mid-april and i was like you know what we might be back to normal by then and like vince carter might actually get to finish his career in Toronto. And so I was kind of resisting the finality of that last shot for Vince. And then, mm-hmm. you know, things uh, changed and <laughs> it was a little easier to accept that that was his last shot not long after. But yeah, that was uh, uh, lots of th- lots of feelings that we're going to sort through tied to that on today's podcast, Katie. Let's uh, end the preamble there and let's get into the uh, the headlines that we got. We got Blake Griffin. We've got Myers Leonard. The All-Star game happened. Don't think we're going to talk about it because fuck that. But we will maybe address it coming up in the headline segment. We've also, like I said, we're just going to sort of take a look back at the last year in the NBA and talk about all the things that made us feel so not not so warm and fuzzy about the NBA. And then we'll close things out in the segment we're trying out this week with a little silver linings in terms of things that uh, were actually, in fact, good from the last 12 months around the league. Let's get to it. Without further ado, the headline segment is coming up. Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the space Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. All right, Katie, let's dive into the headline segment here before we get into some sad reflection. Uh, Speaking of sad reflection on things that were once better, 
Blake Griffin is playing for the Brooklyn Nets now. He got bought out by the Detroit Pistons after being sidelined as they worked on a solution to find him a new home. A trade was never going to happen with the contract and the money he makes and just the, the lack of partners around the league. But he does find himself on a contender with the Brooklyn Nets. Figure he's going to play like a small ball five off the bench role. Uh, what were your, what was your reaction to this Blake Griffin news? Is this the place you wanted to see him land upon being bought out? And what are your overall feelings on where Blake is now at this strange juncture of his career? He had to give up like not a small chunk of his salary, right? $13 million like to, dollars to get out of Detroit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know what? Like I'm, I'm pretty happy for him. I'm kind of happy for any move that seems to put Blake Griffin more toward not just like a ring, though I think like he can care about that and that's totally fine. But I think just like a pulse, <laughs> like a franchise with a pulse <laughs> and maybe some, some, um, I don't know, sense of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Like assuming they don't move DeAndre, like it's nice for me to think they'll be reunited, um, you know, there. And like he just, <sighs> I really wanted it to, I will say, I really wanted it to work out in Detroit for him. Yeah. But he just got played like to, he's playing like over 30 minutes a night. Like his knees can't handle that kind of stuff. Like he had to just become the guy and there wasn't enough of a supporting cast, you know, to like really get like, I think that the the ownership group wanted so badly to like make it to the playoffs and they did, but there was no plan of like, okay, is this just our goal just to like make it to the postseason, you know? And you can't like really grind out a player like like Griffin who I think needs needs more substantial support, probably needs more rest time, mm-hmm. just given all the, you know, problems he's had with his knees in the past. Uh, so I feel like they ran him into the ground a little bit, which I don't like. So I'm happy, you know, I think I just for a long time, I just like want him to land somewhere where, He'll be happy mm-hmm. uh, and somewhat relevant again, you know, to a team. And I mean, I don't mean relevant in the sense of like washed, this guy's washed or something. I just mean like where he can probably feel a sense of relevancy and fulfillment mm-hmm. uh, and contribution. I don't think it makes the Nets any better. To me, they're a very strange team now. If the rumors are true that they will also sign Andre Drummond because then <laughs> you're like... You're just a, it's like more of a movie team. Yeah. They've like tried, they have like a bil- a tech billionaire owner who was like, I'm going to kind of follow the Warriors method of like building a legacy with superstars. But actually my legacy of superstars is just going to be a bunch of like really well-known guys who all seem kind of nice, but aren't necessarily great <laughs> at their jobs of basketball, at least when it comes to the big, the big men on that team. Um, but I like all the big men on that team a lot, you know, and if they get Drummond, that's very like a very nice team to me, mm-hmm. but um, I don't think it's like it doesn't make the the Nets any better. No, on the defensive front, <laughs> certainly not. It's funny because like the Nets are all in on these big men, but like six foot five Bruce Brown is basically playing center for them and has been fucking awesome, and they don't really need it. Honestly, the, the like it's all sort of just window dressing at this point to add other players to their mix, but. I'm happy for Blake, like you said, that he's going somewhere where there will be that sort of relevance. He will be in the public eye. He will have a chance to win a title, which I think, you know, those Clippers teams very much could have won titles at any point. They had some bad luck. They had some unfortunate choke jobs and all that. But 
you know, they that those teams deserve deserve deserved like a fond memory, I think, for people, even though I know they were sort of a polarizing team. And I wish nothing but the best for all of those guys as they look to sort of figure out and cap off their NBA legacies. And so there were kind of two avenues for Blake after he got bought out, I thought. One was this, sort of latching onto a contender where maybe he's going to have some role, but, you know, could very well also be well behind Jeff Green in the depth chart. Like, there's no guarantee he's even going to play substantial minutes for them, let alone, you know, playoff minutes. That was one route. And then the other one was he goes to, a, like, a fringy playoff team and tries to, you know, put them over the top and get the, get them in the playoffs, on a, a team where maybe he can have more of a number one, number two, number three type role. And honestly, that would have made me quite sad because I just don't think he has the chops for that anymore. He's just not physically where he used to be. He can barely jump. He hasn't dunked since 2019. You know, it's just not where he is at this stage of his career. And to me, like him going. Yeah, fair enough. But like him going to like the Hornets, for example, and trying to get the Hornets over the top into the sixth seed and working for like a next contract. That is just sort of like a sad way to go out for me if you're Blake Griffin and obviously him getting paid would be cool but I just I think this is a decision with like realism baked in if you're Blake Griffin and I'm glad to see he's going to be on a team that could potentially put him in the space where he can get a title you know I I never really know how to if you're talking about how players legacies look like if a player only gets a title when they've latched onto a team at the end of their career does it really count I I don't really care either way about legacy stuff honestly but I'm sure that's questions that guys like Blake Griffin are probably thinking about in their heads I'm just glad he's going to be in a place where it's relevant that he's in that place as opposed to sort of some backwater that he's trying to capture some sort of long gone form that he never really is going to get back to Um, so yeah I think it's a nice thing Again, I don't think it makes them much better. Jeff Green's probably better at basketball than Blake Griffin is at, at this point in their careers, but it's still a nice thing. And the, the, the rejoining with with um, DeAndre is cool. And uh, I got no complaints about Blake going to the and Nets. And now he can uh, perform at the Comedy Cellar quite yeah. regularly. Yeah, whenever that's <laughs> open again. I guess he could at least get on to some Zoom comedy shows now that he's there. Uh, to help recoup some of the $13 million he gave up from Detroit. Uh, <laughs> so that's nice, too. Um, other news around the league, Katie. I guess the All-Star game happened. I, I didn't watch it. I did a, not watch it out of principle. I just I thought it was dumb and bad, and so I didn't care. Sounds like the dunk contest was kind of butt. Sounds like the three-point contest was kind of butt. Who knows about the skills challenge, the game, whatever. Uh, did you watch it at all, Katie? Do you have any feelings on the way All-Star Weekend went down? Uh, of course, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were last second ruled out from playing in it because of contact tracing, as though that wasn't a predictable thing that was going to happen to somebody. Sounds like they got out with other positive tests or without other positive tests, which congratulations, I guess it doesn't justify it in hindsight or anything like that the way Adam Silver suggested it might have. But did you have any feelings on the way All-Star went down or was it a complete non-factor in your weekend? Yeah, sheepishly, I will say um, the curiosity lured me in (gasps) like a moth to a flame, but um, I turned it on, I guess around eight. So like I saw the some of the intros, the anthems, it was a very long time for those guys to just be standing around. Yeah. And the start of the game, and honestly, by like, I don't know, five minutes in, I was like, this is like, this sucks. It was so boring. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, they didn't even seem like the nicest part is always just when it seems like these guys are having fun and they're happy to be there. Um, I did like seeing Mike Conley on the floor, but then after that, I was just like, you know, one, it, the energy, like the atmosphere wasn't there. This wasn't a culmination of an exhausting, um, kind of fun reunion weekend. I missed the, I watched the clips of the dunk contest like the next day, but I didn't realize all that stuff was happening. Mm. Oh, wait, the dunk contest happened at halftime. It did, yeah. Well, then I missed the skills challenge, and I stopped watching before the dunk contest happened. <laughs> Basically, what what I did, uh, what Dylan and I did was we watched until 9 when we could stream um, the Great Canadian Bake Off on <laughs> CBC. So I was like, let's just put in, you know, the, like what else are we going to do? Let's just put in this time mm-hmm. uh, until then. And then I would happily turn it off. But, yeah, I, I guess I feel a little bit like a traitor but I was curious. I was like, what is this even going to look like? And it kind of looked exactly like I imagined it. Uh, and I felt like all those guys shouldn't be there. It's great. They didn't have any positive tests, though. The initial, I think the next day, the announcement of that from Woj was like, there was significant testing before and after. And then there was a correction that was like, sorry, there was no testing after <laughs> All-Star. So like they tested them prior, but they did no post post-game testing they just returned to their markets where i guess then they were tested by their teams right um the Embiid and simmons stuff i like it sucked but it also just showed more of like you can't you couldn't hope to kind of control this you can't bring people in from other markets and they're lucky they didn't arrive you know what i mean not Mm -hmm. just for other players but for all the people the two of them could have interacted with along the way because like that's the thing too and i think what I still keep getting stuck on are the larger public health implications of now this whirlwind event that, you know, Atlanta did not even want yeah. uh, left, you know, and they're left to deal with whatever potential fallout there is, whether like deep, deeper seated um, or not. You know, this like this is an area like Georgia has been one of the hardest hit states for COVID period. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they got to kind of deal with the fallout of that. And the NBA gets to like pack up and be like, we had a successful event and pat yeah. themselves on the back uh, and move forward. And also reap the broadcast rewards of which was the whole point of having the event there. Yeah, I was very glad to see that viewership of the All-Star game was down significantly. No thanks to you, apparently. Um. <laughs> Lowest. Yeah, lowest. It's weird because I've read those stats and they're like they can they've tried to frame them two ways, but it's it was the lowest viewership of any All Star game ever. Yeah, but it was a spike in viewership for the rest of the season, which has been low. So that to me isn't like a proud thing. It's like you already you are kind of showing your ass because you're saying like the rest of the season's ratings have also been dismal, but yeah. we had a spike with this event. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was a success. Our product sucks ass. This, uh, this also sucked ass, but people watched it. Ha ha ha. Jokes on you. Uh, yeah. Very dumb. I'm glad I didn't watch any of it, honestly. And, uh, I'm fine to leave the all-star discourse well behind us. And I look forward to enjoying future all-star games, hopefully under, uh, less uh, irresponsible, foolish circumstances. Um, other, speaking of irresponsible and foolish, uh, Myers Leonard 
boy, not good. He was streaming on Twitch earlier this week. I'm sure everybody knows the story by now, but in a stream of Call of Duty Warzone, he used a V, very, very bad anti-Semitic slur. Don't say that word. It is very bad. Uh, He said it, and then within minutes, there was on video him getting a phone call, and then like a school child realizing he's been called to the office for something bad he's done. He sort of sheepishly turned off the stream and presumably got on the horn with uh, Pat Riley as he screamed at him for being a fucking asshole. Um, The apology he released was weak as hell, suggesting, oh, I didn't even know what that word meant. I just said it, which like, come on, how dumb do you think we are? And also, how dumb do you want us to think you are if you're using a word like that that you clearly know is bad and is in a derogatory it is derogatory in the way you used it because it was followed by the word bitch like if you don't know what that means probably don't have it in your lexicon to begin with i mean don't have it either way but especially if you have no fucking clue what it means what are you even doing that's the, the apology didn't hold any water uh the heat said that he was going to be away from the team indefinitely as they uh responded to that with more ferocity than any team has ever responded to like at a domestic violence uh case which is strange and a little weird um and then he uh today was fined fifty thousand dollars from the league the max that a player can be fined which is not that much money honestly and he's suspended for one week from all team activities he's out of the lineup anyway one week feels pretty meager katie uh oh boy (laughs) what are your thoughts on the myers leonard situation right now with the heat one it is too specific of a word to just use casually to not have this already like in your lexicon you know what i mean yeah and if if you are trying to go by the argument that you didn't know what it was It is such a specific word that if you didn't know what it was, you would likely be inclined to be like, what is this word? Maybe I'll Google that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, or to me, it suggests like, you know, and I've seen some other people say this. It's like a learn. It's certainly seems like it could be a learned word (laughs) that he heard somewhere along the line, maybe from family. I don't know. Uh, But even then, again, as you've mentioned, how dumb do you want us to think you are? And I don't think that's a excuse anymore i'm an idiot like i'm so ignorant like it's not a thing to be proud of especially in a league that purports uh that that purports like better stand better standards ethical standards than that two the ownership group of the heat is jewish you dumb idiot and just like (laughs) i i don't know like the punishment i don't know what the like the punishment is for sure been disproportionate um to the actions like you're banned it's like, oh, you took a hard stance because you banned him for team facilities. But then it's like, oh, for a week. It's yeah. like, okay, he was out how anyway. often was he visiting anyway? The guy's, yeah, exactly. The guy's been sidelined with a shoulder injury since forever. Um, and like a $50,000 fine. I'd rather see him step up and say, you know what? I'm going to donate X percentage of my salary over time, not just in one lump sum to like Jewish organizations that Mm -hmm. to try and offset some of this and to show like, I'm willing to like actually learn about what I did. Even if to, even if it is a little bit of virtue signaling, because again, I don't think he didn't know what this meant, but I would like to see it more of like, Oh, then the league kind of came down strong with this 
decision that that Myers Leonard decided to go do something. Though we all know he wouldn't decide. Someone would probably tell him, if you want to save your dwindling career as is, this would be a wise decision to make. So I don't know, man. Like I, I think Call of Duty is like a psycho indicator already. <laughs> um, I also don't understand why every, except for your boy, Terrence Ross loves this game. So I will mm-hmm. take him out of that. But every time I see a player, cause they all share the stream. There's always this one portion. I don't know if this is how the game start where a guy is like grappling down from a helicopter into, I guess a war zone, but mm-hmm. that like, that's always the scene. I don't know. Maybe that is literally how it starts, but that is like burned into my brain. Um, also, <laughs> I, just like yeah. Myers Leonard wife, if that's who actually called him, I feel like she's been covering for him for so long. Um, and also just like, I don't know, you're not a child, man. Like your wife called you. You're like, oh, I have to. I have to go. Um, what's the last thing I want to say? Just kudos to, I guess, gamers because, you know, they continue to surprise me and I'm glad they leaked this out um, and kind of caught him red handed. Uh, and to our friend Amon's point, when someone wears that much camo in their regular life and has done stupid shit before, like standing, you know, standing for the national anthem, but then says, I've, I've done the work. I'm so I'm educated enough to understand why I'm standing and it's okay. But when someone shows you all these things of who they are, believe them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it certainly sheds the whole decision to stand. And then also like the impassioned stance of why he stood during the anthem Mm -hmm. in a different light. Um, and I, I think I thought Amon also made a really good point as well, because there were some folks, not many, but some sort of jumping to try to defend Myers Leonard and say, oh, well, he apologized. So it's fine. I can't imagine why you would want to go out on the branch for Myers Leonard of all people. But, you know, to each their own, I suppose. And much like it is in the case of a lot of these similar types of things, it's not on non-Jewish people to forgive Myers Leonard and say it's fine and it's okay. Like, you know, it, it, it just it's not your place to f- forgive Myers Leonard for that. Ask the Jewish community what they feel about it and whether or not he's done enough. And it is certainly I don't think yet has done enough. Maybe there is the opportunity for him to do the Tim Hardaway thing where you know, Tim Hardaway had some pretty heinous homophobic sentiment during his time in the 90s and learned from that and has become like a very real LGBTQ plus advocate and has spent a lot of money and time promoting that community and supporting that community. And so maybe there's an opportunity for Myers Leonard to do that. But until he actually does earn the forgiveness of the community that he offended, there's no need to jump to his defense and say, oh, well, he's a changed man. He, he realized he did, did he did wrong and it's fine. Like, just, you don't need to be the one to welcome Myers Leonard back into uh, whatever the normal discourse. Um, what do you think about the the one, the one week and $50,000? It feels not enough. Yeah. Again, like we said, it's stupid because he was already kind of... He, Ostensibly, he was not visiting these facilities because he's hurt and has been for a long time, you know, and is already kind of away from the team. I guess it it formalizes that division a little bit more. And, you know, like I said, I'd rather he this money was kind of coming from him and substantially mm-hmm. more and, and to like a few other like just to some organizations where he could he could contribute and like actually make a difference and try and like learn something from it. I'm like, where does the money go? Did the yeah. NBA say? Adam Silver's pockets, baby. No. Uh, I think most yeah, clients like, I, end up going to <laughs> some sort of charity. Okay. 
So sure, I guess that offsets it a little bit, but it's also kind of like, I don't know. I'm, you know, like I have a problem also with the way that the NBA kind of quote investigates these situations. Cause all that really means is they lawyer it to a degree or there there's like a passable, um, like kind of still ambiguous punishment. <laughs> well, what is there to investigate in this one though, is the thing like, yeah, like <laughs> a video, I saw someone watch say, it. like, are they just watching the the stream over and like, is some lawyer at, at the NBA headquarters <laughs> just watching that stream over and over and over mm-hmm. um, to confirm? Yes, that is Myers Leonard. Definitely. I don't know. You're <laughs> right. Like, there's nothing to investigate. But I do think these investigations, quote, are just like they're so bogus to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is wild that uh, Myers Leonard has now received more punishment than Kendrick Nunn ever has for the things that he did, uh, I guess, before uh-huh. he was in the NBA. But still, he's he's Yeah, thriving. that's why they seem bogus, because yeah. there's never, like, I'm not trying to equate the severity, you know, both, like, domestic both assault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and being, like, blatantly bigoted um, and racist I, are both terrible things, yeah. awful things. But kind of the the line at which the NBA will act swiftly, mm-hmm. you know, toward one and not another is what makes it the investigative process a bit bogus to me. Yep, for sure. I think that's a good place to leave the headlines off. Unless we missed anything. I don't know. Nothing's happened this week. There have been no games. So I feel like we've covered it all pretty successfully. And uh, that's going to take us into... Just the general look back on the year that was, Katie, we're going to kind of run through the NBA and maybe sort of building off of your wonderful pieces for Dime this week, Contact Tracing, which everyone should go read. Pause the podcast right now and go read both pieces of Contact Tracing that are up. Um, You know, we'll just kind of relive the horrors, I suppose, and reflect a little bit on how the NBA has changed in the last year or so and how we feel about that. That's coming up in just one second here on the podcast. Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man. Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. All right, Katie, it's time to reflect 
I guess. It's one year since all the shit happened, as we've talked about at length. And the NBA, as we've kind of documented week by week on this podcast, I think has changed substantially in the last 12 months in terms of perception, in terms of the way they do business, in terms of the way people consume and appreciate the product, in terms of the way the media covers the league. You're doing a great job covering some of this in your wonderful series for Dime Contact Tracing. Uh, The first two pieces are up as of the time of recording. I'm sure the third will be up soon. Am I wrong by saying that? You're not wrong. Okay, Um. cool. (laughs) I don't want to erroneously plug if it's going to be like, uh, oh, wait, the third part's coming in two weeks. Don't worry, it's coming. But uh, No, it's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Um, It will most likely come tomorrow. Excellent. Um, The first two parts, of course, the the first one is on the sort of strange disconnect uh, in Zoom media sessions and the lack of empathy for players that has kind of taken over. And the second part is on injuries, soft tissue injuries, things like that, and how those have been uh, on an upward turn in this shortened bizarro season where there's no recovery time and offseason schedules and rituals are all thrown off by everything. Uh, Go read them. They're great. And it, it does sort of really, I think, paint the picture of a league that has changed drastically over the last 12 months. You know, I think when the league first shut down March 11th, they were still at the in the height of their, this is the good league. Look at the NBA. They're the trendsetters. They've canceled and the rest of the world is following suit. The NBA, look at how wonderful and progressive they are. And I think the last 12 months have been an exercise in the NBA trying to piss away any goodwill they had developed previous to March 11th, 2020. Uh, Katie, do you agree with that? Uh, I know you felt disconnected from the league in a way this season that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people probably are feeling just the way things have gone, the way it's been pretty irresponsible, the way they seem to bend the COVID protocols to fit their convenience, the all-star shit, all of that, uh, coupled with a whole bunch of other factors. How has the league changed for you, Katie, in the last 12 months? Pretty drastically, considering the fact that, you know, Um, In April, I think last year, I wrote a very long and investigative piece like about what the NBA had done progressively uh, in its response to COVID, because it was very interesting to me, especially in the states where, you know, there is no blanket public health institution. And ironically, this is kind of what has allowed the NBA to do the 180 it has, but there aren't really any definitive leaders, you know, like it has been a a thing that's been eroded. It has been in Canada too, but certainly way more in the States. So, you know, the, the NBA led in basically public health messaging, they started like an entire new arm of their business, um, to either raise funds. Um, they raised, over $80 million. And that was just like internally within kind of a month, which also shows you like the behemoth of like capital raising that the NBA could do just like regularly. Do you know what I mean? Which to me, I'm trying not to hop all around here, but to me is makes like what they did at all-star by donating money to HBCUs. Like you could, they could just be doing that all the time and they should be because they have the power to do that. But no, no, no. You'll, you can only do that around a made for TV event. Come on, Katie. What are you talking about? <laughs> to, yeah. To offset <laughs> the, the negative implications, you know, of what you're doing, basically. It's, a, it's, it's an op, it's an optics exercise. And I think, you know, to me, the 180 was so striking because when I spoke to people internally at the NBA, um, at the MBPA, there was a real sense of like, you know, we're digging in here, we're taking ownership of this. We had a pretty clear, they were even honest with me about the fact that like they could have, they felt they had acted 
perhaps slower than they should have, given that they have an office in China that had been dealing with COVID protocol there long before it reached the States and how severe it was. And they were kind of like, well, you know, I guess like the rest of us, like, is it going to get that bad here? Um, you know, but to their credit, like they had players getting involved. They had this whole arm for like junior MBA and like mental health, physical health for kids who were out of schools. You know, they were donating money at large and like starting other initiatives in communities, particularly like racialized communities, harder hit by COVID. Um, and, and like they sustained that right up until the bubble. And, you know, we always knew the idea was let's return to play. That wasn't a surprise. But the fact is that the, that interim time, like the four months or whatever, it was a really sustained and to me seemed like a, a thoughtful effort of like, well, let's actually do something good in the interim. And it wasn't just so they could then go on and have a season in the bubble because as much as you and I were sort of like, this is a dumb idea, the bubble was a success because yeah. they paid a lot of money for it and they <laughs> were very diligent, right? About like the health and safety of their players um, within that space for the time that it ran. And what it struck me was just like, oh, the, it, this was just ownership and like existing partnerships, whether they were broadcast or sponsors coming down hard on them and, and saying like, uh, okay, cool. Well, we did all that nice stuff, but we're getting a little bit antsy because mm -hmm. we have like, you know, 10 figure, um, like we have teams that are like 10 figure revenue, <laughs> like that draw <laughs> us that much revenue per year. And they're just idling here and we need some kind of signal that the season is going to continue. And then when is that going to continue? Because like, when you look at like the bump up from January to December, where it becomes just to me, like completely irresponsible is that, you know, Silver had initially said, oh, January, like December feels quite soon to me. Like he's on record saying that. And this is when COVID numbers were tracking up. The U.S. is in the middle of its a very real second wave. And instead of waiting till January, when I think it probably would have just been like morally reprehensible to start a season when cases were peak like peaked at what they had been mm -hmm. peaking toward in December they pushed up a month so they could kind of start in this gray area uh, and then like ride the second wave basically yeah. like a surfboard and i think <laughs> you know that like that to me that shows how as a corporation the nba has really taken full advantage of this murky in between gray area of where they can kind of virtue signal and test the boundaries and where and be like we're a progressive company and we'll, you know we'll do all these things um to show that like the support they gave for black lives matter in the bubble you know and really making that so visible to me then falls very flat because they kind of scrapped that as soon as they realized it was all like systems go for a season yeah. because they didn't have to perform in that way anymore. And I think they are also taking full advantage of a country that in some cases is in its mind, not in reality, but in its mind post COVID already. Yeah. And yeah, just like taking full advantage of the fact that there is no, larger public health infrastructure that can that has the weight or the size, you know, or the clout that the NBA has to push back on them and say like, um, no, this is irresponsible and wrong and you shouldn't be. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think you could easily 
sort of understand the NBA's decision to like kind of take cover from the NFL and all the other leagues and businesses and governments just saying, all right, well, we're back up and running. And you could say, well, of course, what was the NBA supposed to do? They're a business. They need to make money. Tillman Fertitta's family was starving. Like they had to get back and play basketball. And if everyone else is doing it, they stand to be at a disadvantage by not playing basketball. And, you know, that I think is a sort of explainable and understandable position they took had they not spent the previous seven months saying this is what we care about. We care only about player safety. We are so committed to it that we're going to spend all of our money to play a season in a bubble and like absorb all the costs for that in the interest of making sure players stay healthy and getting it on the floor. But for them to just like abandon all that thinking and kind of jump the shark, you know, that it just... I don't think that defense of, oh, well, they could have, they, what were they supposed to do? Everyone else is moving forward. Like, I don't think it holds water if they profess to believe the things that they say that they believe. So, yeah, it's, do you think, Katie, I'm trying to think of like when the moment was where it was like, oh, no, they don't give a shit. And maybe it was just them doing the bubble and they sort of used the cover of the, the, the diligence they put into it and all the, the backing that it got from sort of medical professionals and stuff. Maybe like they had actually jumped the shark there and just did it well enough to sort of survive the, the PR hit. And then it, it was executed well enough that, um, you know, people ended up leaving the bubble with good feelings about the league and where they stood. But maybe it came later. I'm not sure. Like, is there a point where you think the NBA kind of went from actually sort of holding up their end of like what they profess to stand by and then just kind of threw all of that to the wind? Is it just the decision to start December 22nd? Did it come before that? Did it become after that when they said we're going to do the all star game? Like where is there like a line or is it more of just a gradual sort of decay of what we thought the league was actually all about? Well, I do think it it's both. Like I think there was a gradual kind of decline or decaying rather or like seeding of ground. I also think for me, the hard line was in deciding to first bump up the season and then, you know, have the season at all. Because I think by doing that, they sort of tore up this whether it's like a, a moral kind of like agreement or contract not just with fans, but with players and like the cities in which they operate by just saying like, you know what, we're actually going to now step fully into this corporate persona, you know, to hell with this progressive persona that we exist in sometimes. Because the the thing is, then you can't argue with them because then the NBA just turns around and is like, you know, yeah, we've always been a business. We have a bottom line. And like, that's the danger. I think like a lot of companies do this, but the NBA perhaps signals the most and uses its progressiveness as leverage more than most other, even pro sports leagues do, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think in like the about face and that was the strangest thing and probably the marker for me. Also because they have seemed perpetually bare, like several steps behind all season in that I don't know if they think they're pulling it off. But it doesn't look like it, right? There have been all these like glimpses into the 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 like callousness of that structure. Whether it's like what's happened, what happened to Carl Anthony Towns, and the way they kind of pushed ahead with these like stupid, winking kind of half measures, right? Of like COVID protocols on court, um, or it's like the, what we saw Kevin Durant like c- c- getting pulled twice in one game. 
and then, you know, you see like all the holes shot through the way that they've approached contact tracing. Um, and you start to wonder like who is informing these decisions and are they just kind of piecemeal and do they just serve the the benefits of the league in any given moment, but then also sort of keeps them from being accountable. I think there's also something to be said for the way that teams have insulated the league from blame in a lot of cases, because ultimately like the fallout of public health in the markets where games are being held with, you know, with fans in a lot of cases, I think now the league is this kind of amorphous, invisible entity and all the blowback will be on teams, you know, and like the, the mm-hmm. loss of trust and like the the public health implications, if there are any, um, because the league's made it really clear with like the standards that they have in arenas. And I mean, it's bullshit too, because they said, oh, we're following, we're just following in the footsteps of other leagues. But like all these other leagues that had fans in stadiums were in open air stadiums, you know, like yeah. the NFL, MLS, MLB, like the NBA just just thought maybe no one would notice that. Like, and then the kind of six feet, like the 30 feet from court and then six feet from each other, like and fans not having to be tested in stadiums, that's just protection for players. Like that's not protection mm-hmm. for fans in attendance you know like for an aerosol virus that doesn't give a shit like it lingers in the air for a long time and (laughs) yeah you've got COVID sniffing dogs and blah 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 but like it just the the science just started to really crumble this season and I think you know for a league that seemed to be really valuing like a science-based approach especially in its messaging when like the Trump administration was not and was a leader in that. Like you can say that, that's not hyperbolic, but then for it to sort of do a, a 180 and use science really conveniently where it served it and then ignore it where it didn't. To me, that was like, I know it's a harsh term and there are like legal implications, but to me that is negligent. And I think that's, you know, when I, when I, I started to really see the gaps and become super uncomfortable with the fact that like this is happening but the NBA has made it so that they can't really be held accountable because what is the NBA, right? It's like thousands of people in offices <laughs> all over the place and any kind of blame can just be shifted. It sort of falls on silver as the figurehead, but otherwise it's like, you know, probably some pressure came from accounting when they're like, oh <laughs> shit, we're not going to meet our bottom line, you know? And when coaches like Nick Nurse says this in scrums all the time, like, or when there's flack for protocol or like anything that's happened the the line is always like well the league said but like the league has just continues to sort of be the spectral identity that can get away with sort of anything and I guess the frustrating and most depressing thing is we've seen that full force this season but I don't know how that changes yeah for me I think there were sort of two lines of de-evolution for the league um I think like the the most notable one was not only when they bumped the season to December 22nd and said there was going to be 72 games, but when they started getting horny for the Olympics and it was like, we must finish by this time because the Olympics must happen. And it's like, really, you're thinking about Olympic, like it's not even Olympic revenue. It's just Olympic it's exposure. A coverage. Yeah, yeah. It's like, cannibalizing it's broadcasts. <laughs> yeah. It's just that that was the one thing and sort of like oh yeah they don't give an absolute shit here and that's just going to be the way they go about things it was like they're a great announcement but i thought even going back to the bubble when the jacob blake shooting took place and the players themselves took it upon themselves to do the wildcat strike because they felt like the league wasn't holding up their end of the bargain 
I think that kind of was revealing about the way the league actually views this stuff. And yes, they put a lot of money into, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter is going to be on the court and we're going to make sure we're talking about it on broadcast and things like that. I just I think a lot of it was performative by the league. I don't think it actually held water. And a lot of the stuff that the owners ultimately ended up taking part in, you know, the committing X amount of dollars, I think it was like $100 million over the next 10 years, like $10 million is not anything on an annual basis for the owners to cobble together in the piggy bank. Like, it all just kind of fell flat for me. And I, I respect the hell out of the players for saying, hey, like, we're not going to keep playing if you're not holding up your end. And you could argue whether or not the league ended up holding up their end. I would say they probably didn't. But that was, I think, a bit of a, a showing of their ass a little bit, too, as they kind of let the basketball overtake things and were like, oh, yeah, eventually, like, people just care about the playoffs and we're not going to talk about the uncomfortable stuff that we actually don't really want to be talking about. Um, and, and that was, I thought, kind of telling for me. I, I am curious, Katie, we can leave off of after this, but where are your feelings on, like, the PA and how the players have sort of been party to all of what's taken place in the last 12 months because i think there have been some real high points like i mentioned the the, the wildcat strikes um and sort of speaking out against the all-star game and whatnot was nice to see even though it ultimately didn't do anything in terms of change but also i think they have their fair share of culpability in all of this in sort of the, the negligent sort of feelings that we have about the way the league has operated this year like they've collectively bargained all of this stuff they're part of it they want their checks understandably too uh have your feelings on the pa changed at all in the last 12 months um no i'm more curious i guess because i think i'd i don't think i ever will but i'd like to see a contract that says like especially in terms of liability um and insurance of like for example what happens if a player contracts COVID and they, their livelihood is threatened or like it takes them out for a season or indefinitely. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's very complicated. Um, I think like pushing ahead for a season because it's their job does make sense to me. Um, and I also question specifically with that stuff around all-star and players kind of speaking out. We, this is a, this is a league that is always like our players are autonomous, they have power to speak out until they don't, right? Until it threatens some kind of valuation or revenue or, or bottom line. Like you saw it with Maury and Hong Kong in a different way. And now you're kind of seeing it with like, you saw it with All-Star. Most like All-Stars who were there spoke out and just said like, this really seems like a waste of time. And they all were pretty blatant. They were like, it's, this is profit over people. Um, so it's not, it's not like they're not aware Um but I wonder just like where the power actually lies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Theoretically, yeah. yeah, I guess they could have said we're not going. But I'm sure in in their contracts, it says there is an obligation to go else you will lose X amount of money, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to say they're blameless um, because, yeah, there's obviously bargaining that they do. But I do wonder if this has also shown kind of the constraints in which players are free to exercise you know that autonomy mm -hmm. and how far it really goes for them um within this the larger overarching mechanics of the nba itself yeah like there's sure the owners and players share 50 50 basketball related income so in theory they should all have equal say in how things take place and how league business is conducted and the decisions the league makes about playing and whatnot or not to play 
But ultimately, like the power dynamics there are still off. Like it's billionaires against millionaires. And yes, a lot of the players are super rich and on track to be billionaires one day. But also there's a bigger portion of the league that are not those types of players that are guys who are hanging on and just sort of trying to make their way. And I'm curious, like, how they feel about the power dynamics of it all. And, like, do they feel like they have any say whatsoever? Or is it all just kind of the conversation run by Chris Paul and what the superstars want? Like, it, it is a, a complex thing. I obviously put less blame on the players than I do on the ownership and Adam Silver for trudging forward and doing all the things they've done. But I, I am kind of curious to see, you know, maybe in, like, the aftermath of all of this, like, if there is sort of a reckoning of the players' association and, you know, is it good having the superstars kind of be the voices or should it be sort of more, uh, not I don't want to say run-of-the-mill, but that's, like, for lack of a better word, like, run-of-the-mill well, sort of... I think you could say majority. Tier, regular, yeah, the majority. Yeah, majority yeah, exactly. representative. Just, like, standard NBA normies, yeah. Like, yeah, I wonder if that becomes a conversation going forward because, you know, it, it, it seems like a lot of the decision-making is being done through the, the guys who are sort of the the minority within the entire PA. It's interesting stuff um, that we could leave for now. It, it, it's been a... I, don't, I think we didn't spiral as much in this segment as I thought we were going to going to, Katie. That's nice. <laughs> uh, that leads us nicely into our final segment. The segment we're trying out this week, what we're trying out this week is some positivity, Katie. We're closing things out. We're opening up the, the Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know. They <laughs> didn't want to steal the name of the podcast, of the movie. Uh, but we're calling it Silver Linings Corner. How about that? Although the silver is not to be misconstrued as any sort of no uh, nod or homage to Adam Silver, who is bad, of course. Uh, we're going to talk about good silvers uh, and the thing that from the last 12 months of the NBA are getting us through the thing we've liked the things we've liked the most that is coming up in just one second old man winter here if I had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex oh <laughs> heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived spring spring is here which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted visit the Hyundai getaway sales event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, Katie, we have reached the segment we're trying out this week. It is the Silver Linings Corner, where we are looking back at the last 12 months 
of the NBA and trying to find some things to pull that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's probably few and far between, but I've come up with a list of three things. I think you've come up with a list of three things as well. I think that was the assignment. I might not have properly outlined the homework, but uh, I trust that you'll come through no matter what. Katie, uh, was it hard to come up with three good things from the last year? Yes. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. It was. (laughs) (laughs) I've been like, uh, I've been thinking a lot about sort of like the last time we covered games. Mm -hmm. I miss it a lot. It's maybe that's like number one is like the appreciation of how fun it is to cover games. <laughs> like I won't take that for granted anymore. Maybe I'll become a better reporter next time I'm allowed to go. I think it is also amplified by the fact that like it happened during the month I was on contract with Raptors.com to be their feature writer. Yes. And the last home game I covered was like February 28th. And then they yeah. went on a six game road trip. And my first game was supposed to be like March 15th. And that never happened. Uh, <laughs> it was very strange. And, and I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. And so, yeah, maybe that's like an honorary one for me is just the appreciation of covering games. But yeah, it's tough to think of stuff. <laughs> it's been a shit year, Katie. What's your number one? Do you have something? Yeah, I miss, co- but I do miss that covering games too. If only also because I yeah. think there's something to be said for like, I found it like I'm not trying to bring this positive segment down, but I found no, no, it difficult to write <laughs> to write in the same way. And this is like not I'm not like, oh, the, this is a huge problem in the world. But for me, it has been harder to write about basketball in the same way, not being so like proximal to it. And I think a lot mm. of that it has to do, of course, with like the conversations you get to have with players and kind of being plugged into the atmosphere and environment, you know, but I think like that connectivity is gone. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like in the interviews I have had with players, whether it's like over phone or zoom since there's such like an, like an elated feeling once they're done. And like players have commented on this too. And they have been like, this was so fun. (laughs) This was so nice. (laughs) Um, so I think like, it's fair to say that there is something there that that's like missing. And it's not just this like transactional thing of like media being at a game, you know, there, there is like a, a larger thing going. And, and that's probably why it's also been so difficult to find joy kind of in the season, because when you're just there and around it all the time, you find joy from these really small, you know, moments that are nothing special, but like when you kind of add them all up, they just, I don't know. They just make you feel part, like part of something greater. Um, anyway, it's the vibes, Katie. Yeah, it's the all vibes, vibes being at games. <laughs> it's nice. And like, yeah, I like that you mentioned like the little sort of things, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking there, I had like one of my favorite interactions ever is I was standing courtside one time with our friend James Herbert. And Bruno Caboclo walks over to us and it was like the first night the Raptors were wearing purple jerseys. It was like during that season when they brought the throwbacks back like 14, 15 or something like that or 15, 16. I can't remember. But either way, we're standing courtside and Bruno walks over to us. Uh, Actually, it was a playoff game. They had purple shirts. That's what it was. Um, And Bruno's like, why purple? (laughs) And like, oh, they used to be purple like way back in the day. And just like incredulously looks at us like, why? Oh, ew. <laughs> it's just like those little stupid moments where or even just like seeing players interact in the locker room and the way they sort of get along with each other. Like those little tiny mm-hmm. things 
you're missing it. I think it makes, as you kind of covered in your piece, there's just less empathy in reporting now. It's just like, all right, fire up the Zoom and ask questions into the void and they'll answer into the void. And there's not really any connectivity there. There's no side chats or anything like that. Um, a lot's been lost. And I, I was a person who was kind of jaded on the whole game coverage experience, honestly, like before this all happened. I was like, you know, I don't really do anything when I go to these games, this sort of the charade of the pregame media availability and the postgame. Like, what are we actually getting out of this in stuff that you can just watch online afterwards anyway? But I think I've come to appreciate that that was uh, a really cool thing mm-hmm. that made covering the league uh, a lot more fun. And uh, I miss it a lot. I can't feed like accident. Like the, the last big memory I have of like how like that weird mix of like adrenaline and could kind of be delusion was like coming mm-hmm. back from All Star Weekend and my last, like my last week with the Raptors as their like feature writer last year, and being yeah. so sleep deprived and out of it that I like was eating a Rice Krispie square from the media room <laughs> and was like walking down the tunnel to the court and your eyes kind of adjust in that tunnel and like yeah. seeing Mark Gasol coming toward me and like starting to lift the crispy square to him to offer him some until my brain was like screaming at me like what are you doing that's Marcus Gasol and then seeing him kind of look at me as just a little bit like oh should I be worried about this yet you know like there's yeah. just moments you don't get that kind of stuff from home so, Mark can you sign my rice crispy please no I was like uh. in my mind I guess I was like offering him a bite Pre-COVID world, you know, would never do that now. Um, Anyway, I guess just to start, yeah, I think to me, a nice silver lining going back to the playoffs, um, because the bubble, I think, was like a lot for as like uh, artificial as it was, you know, and, and kind of the artifice we've talked about, it would prove to be. It was still like it felt kind of like a joyful time for players. And I think, you know, they were super well rested. Competition was good. You know, everybody was like really into it in a way that I don't think many people anticipated. But seeing the rise uh, of Jimmy Butler, honestly, like as like a as not just like on a team that fully appreciated him, but as like I think to me, like the leader that he's always wanted to be. Um, The Heat are obviously going through some things right now. But, you know, and like the heat culture, I would quibble with because it doesn't seem to be that positive. But I think just like seeing him kind of rise in that moment and like getting to shine on that stage. And I think prove a lot of people wrong who were just like, Jimmy Butler can't shoot. Jimmy Butler, you know, can't do this. Like Jimmy Butler can't lead a team. Like seeing him actually Mm. just do that. It just made me really happy for him. Also, Big Face Coffee proliferated in the bubble. (laughs) Well, I had Big Face Coffee on my list, although I knew you were probably going to mention it, so it's off my list now. But I have a replacement. It's fine. Um, Yeah, I I thought the the Heat thing was awesome. Uh, As someone who was kind of a late adopter of Jimmy Butler and all that makes him awesome, uh, it was kind of cool kind of getting convinced that, oh, this is a team I should actually think is cool and should root for. Um, You know, I, I still wanted LeBron to win the title. So I didn't root for Miami there, but it was uh, a really fun ride to watch that team. Uh, similarly, 
the Denver Nuggets to me are a silver lining. Um, mm-hmm. Not only because of the bubble, and by the way, like the basketball in the bubble is also probably worth noting. You kind of alluded to it. Like the basketball was incredible. They were rested. The the, comp- the competition was way beyond where I expected it would be. The fans on the Zoom were awesome. Like the basketball was great. But the Denver Nuggets, I think, highlighted all of that. And just watching Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray do badass things to the Clippers in particular, the Jazz coming back in that series. Uh, it was uh, my sort of open eyes moment where I realized, oh, no, no, the Nuggets are whatever happens to them title wise. They are going to be the coolest team of the 2020s and they could win zero titles. And I would still think that because of just the style of players they have and the Jokic Murray thing and, and what makes them rock so hard. And I've even kind of. Look, I've been very, very detached from the league this year outside of the Raptors, where, of course, work means I watch every game in uh, extreme detail. But like in terms of other games, I have not watched a ton, but I find myself very routinely turning on Nuggets games when they're on because I just can't get enough of those dudes. And Jokic in particular, it's just been a blast. And uh, I guess like the... Just uh, the way my sort of rhythms and my sleep schedules have kind of lined up, I'm just always up for those late NBA games and watching the Nuggets uh, whip around cool passes has been a real treat and a real highlight of the last 12 months. And I look forward to loving the Nuggets with all of my heart in the uh, the coming years uh, and having known that my love for them really, really was seated in the bubble against uh, those dastardly Clippers. Um Katie, do you have a second thing that made you feel quite good about the last 12 months? Yes, the Stan Van Gundy renaissance. Um, yeah. <laughs> this also being in, uh, in like pre-bubble. First, when I guess Stan got on Twitter, um, I never forgot about him, but he did remind the wider world, oh yeah, this guy rules, he's got all the great stuff to say, super plugged in. Um, and then when he got the contract to do announcing in the bubble, when I learned about the walks he would take with his brother Jeff um, <laughs> around the <laughs> campus, that made me very happy. And then when he, I'm like, I guess I had like a little bit of a personal attachment because when I spoke to him and we were talking about coaching, he seemed so reticent to say like outright, yeah, like I, I, I want to coach again. But he has in like other interviews talked about it. In like, to me, a very heartbreaking way, just like he wasn't done with it. He was super like lost when he didn't have it. He was obviously very like, you know, very like trying to fill the void, not in like a a fake way. I think he was really like gung ho about, okay, I'll do broadcasting now. And he was also very much like, I'm a learner. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to try really hard. But then the fact that this all resulted in him. Uh, becoming a head coach. I know we talk about the problematic practices of hiring head coaches in the NBA, which still exist Mm -hmm. very much. So considering also who he replaced, but it was a silver lining for me um, to see Stan Van get that job. And again, just this Mm -hmm. kind of like Renaissance for him. I'm very happy for the dude. He's also just a staple of this podcast. Thanks to did Stan yes. Dance Davis. So yeah, <laughs> it's hard to uh it's hard to argue with that one. Stan brought a lot of joy to a lot of people's lives this year. Um my next one is just sort of I think this year I really grew to appreciate how cool like the young generation of players is in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in terms of play style and on court stuff, because like my God, the next ten years I've been kind of 
wondering like, okay, okay, what are my feelings on the league going to be after LeBron? Like the guy who I grew up with basically my entire basketball fan life sort of being the the heliocentric sort of force that centers the entire league. What's it going to look like after him? And will I become a curmudgeon who's longing for the LeBron days? And I feel like this year I kind of realized, no, I'm not going to be that because the league is in extremely good hands, even if there's not that sort of you know, generational, he's going to be one of the best players of all time people in the league right now. I mean, there could be. I don't think it's clear just yet. Just the number of dudes and the number of dudes who are also very eager to use their voices away from the court, I think, has been a really nice part of this season. Um, You know, obviously, the circumstances around the George Floyd protests were, uh, like, appalling. And uh, it's awful that they even had to happen. But I do think seeing Jalen Brown and Malcolm Brogdon and Giannis sort of be at the forefront leading marches like that shit ruled and really sort of hammered home that the league is in really good hands going forward. And then the on-court stuff as well is awesome. And, you know, I mentioned the Nuggets, but you've also got uh, all sorts of interesting young teams kind of on the on the ascent. And even the guys who are sort of veteran-ish, you know, year four, five, six guys who are probably going to come into their own over the next five, six years. They're all cool as hell, too. It's, uh, you know, outside of the jazz guys and Jason Tatum, I'm on board with basically every young star in the NBA. And those are just my baked in biases that are affecting my opinions on those guys. Uh, But that was nice this year, kind of realizing that the next 10 years of the NBA should be just as enthralling as the previous 10, 20 years of my fandom. And that was nice after being very concerned that I was going to become uh, I wish I belonged for the days of 2012 kind of guy, which uh, thankfully I don't think I'm going to do that now. And they're just so cool. They're just much cooler yeah. um, and very self-aware, <laughs> you know. Um, and also, I do feel like they don't they just like don't take it overly seriously. They take it seriously mm-hmm. to the point that they need to. Some more than others, of course, but like there's just it seems like there's a better awareness or kind of like understanding of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, what a career kind of means and can look like. And I think they're redefining that, too. 100 percent. Katie, what's your uh, third thing that makes you feel warm and fuzzy about the last 12 months? Yeah, this was a stretch, um, but I think (laughs) (laughs) and there's definitely a pattern clearly on my moments go back to around the bubble um and when things like pre pre big change for me um but the sun's family intro uh oh hell the, yeah that the also raptors, was on my list oh damn <laughs> that the raptors okay, take it. later copied but i was so glad that they did copy it um because kyle larry's kids should just announce i think every lineup in the league yep. but also the raptors they should always just announce the lineup um it was just very beautiful <laughs> extremely like my kind of thing <laughs> so yeah i loved that yeah that's uh like, it was on my list it was a smaller thing but it was lovely to see before the families arrived and we got a whole new wave of wholesome moments of like fred van vliet's kids walking up the hallway into his arms and uh jason tatum's kid arriving and being cute uh yeah, that's a good one. My third one, Katie, uh, kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the second segment, but I, I think what I liked about this year and the circumstances around it suck, obviously, but I do think in the long term it will be a net positive that this year was kind of the year 
where the this league, the NBA is the best league sentiment died forever. And ultimately, I think that's good. I think it will lead to ideally more adversarial coverage of the league going forward, which is something that is sorely lacking at the moment. Um, I think it'll just sort of allow people to stop worshipping a billion dollar corporation and it's stupid Voldemort ass looking uh, commissioner who I think showed his ass more than a lot of people did this this year through a whole bunch of different avenues and channels. Um, I, I just think it's good that that sentiment seems to have died, even among the most died in the wool, like NBA supporters, like the NBA is the best league people. I think the veneer is gone. And I think it's uh, very clear that, oh, no, this is just as heartless of business as all the other ones out there. They don't give a shit about you or anything except for money. And I think that understanding will be a good thing going forward, even if it's a, a shitty thing to digest right now. Do you feel that at all, Katie? I hope so. I'm hopeful for that. Mm. Um, but I also know mm-hmm. that like the memory <laughs> for these kinds of things, especially like in the atmosphere of like covering or being a fan of the NBA is like pretty fleeting. You know what I mean? Um, and this yeah. push for like normalcy always kind of wins out, but I hope it's been enough that it can't. And at least, you know, there's like a whole season's worth of examples to point to whenever that that kind of argument will come up again in the future as it undoubtedly will um so yeah i agree with you but i hope we <laughs> i just hope we remember we remember mm-hmm. it and that we can like be critical it's fine i think like t- people are really scared to be critical of the things they love cuz i think it, there's this assumption that it takes away from your love of it and how you interact with it but i think it's important especially to a league that like, you know, purports to hold itself to these higher standards. It's fine to hold itself to it. The own standards yeah. it's set out for itself. Absolutely. I, I think, uh, it, look, it's kind of like the whole argument of, oh, if you're a fan of a team, you can't cover that team, you know, properly. Whereas like, if you love a team, you're probably more likely to be overly critical of the things it does that you don't agree with. And thus you are giving actual critical analysis uh, I think that can apply to the league as a whole. It's even weirder that people would simp for the NBA and be like, this league, baby, it's number one. Where it's just like, I don't know why I did like a Corbin Smith voice there, but uh, <laughs> shouts to Corbin, I guess. Happy birthday, buddy. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, I, I think to view it as the corporate monster that it is, I think will ultimately lead to better coverage and better critique of the things that it does in the future and hopefully uh cause them to correct some of their bullshit would be uh, a nice outcome of this down the line am i hopeful i'm not hopeful about much honestly uh <laughs> there's there's a very real chance that we just forget everything that took place in this year and go back to life before and that's a bummer but hopefully the sort of uh the the hero worship of adam silver in the league is gone for good uh, as it should be Katie, we've reached the end of the Silver Linings Corner. Uh, We should move into our posters of the week as we finish off every show in the exact same fashion. Uh, In terms of my poster of the week, Katie, I'm going to do sort of a a poster of the year award, honestly, and sort of take it all the way back to March 11th of last year and give a special achievement in posting award to a pair of people, Serge Ibaka 
and Matisse Thibel. Uh, Matisse Thibel, of course, was, had a running series throughout the offseason. His Instagram stories have been wonderful. Serge Baca had uh, How Bored Are You? He uh, most recently posted himself drinking margarita mix with, a, with no shirt on during All-Star break. That's great. Uh, just sort of culminating a wonderful year of posting for Serge Ibaka. Uh, those two guys kind of keeping people entertained, I think, for me, are not just my poster of the week, but my posters of the year. Katie, did you go with a similar uh, approach to this, or you just go strictly off the of last week? Like, the rules suggest that we are supposed to. Yeah, I didn't know that we would <laughs> we could look, or you would look back at posters of the year, but that, that makes sense to me. Um... No, I kind of had Serge Ibaka drinking margarita mix in a pool. Just broadly. We could talk more about that if you want, because that rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, did he know you You don't drink it? Like, did, was he just like, or was he just like, whatever? I don't care. I'm on Is he going like alcohol free, just drinking the mix? No, like, I think there was booze in there, but. Okay. I still think you're supposed <laughs> to like water it down with ice. You know what I mean? Um, it's still pretty concentrated stuff for a man who is very aware of his health, but I really (laughs) enjoyed it. I don't know. I haven't seen, um, much better to be honest. Neither have I, honestly, it was a, it was a light week for posting, which is why I kind of did the, Mm -hmm. the year in review one and, uh, calling out Serge Ibaka two times, uh, positively is a good thing, I think. And, uh, a pretty good place to leave this podcast that did not bring me down nearly as much as i thought it would katie congrats to us i guess uh we did a pretty good job we did okay let's pat ourselves on <laughs> our own backs yeah um that brings us to the end katie you have stuff to plug i presume yeah i mean you plugged it thank you but um the series that i wrote uh, which is a retrospective uh, touching on kind of the 180 well yeah the 180 that i think the nba has undertaken since uh, this time last year, it's called contact tracing. It's on Dime. They're all conveniently linked together, so you can go through them. There's two published now. The last one will probably publish tomorrow. Um, and the last one is kind of just on like, wh- what is the line uh, in terms of negligence and irresponsibility? And uh, has the NBA crossed it? I look forward to reading that. I will read the hell out of it. Um, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. Of course, listen to Locked On Raptors. Been a fun week over there. Uh, Blake Murphy, fellow Stringer podcast family member, was on Thursday's episode to talk about trades. So go listen to that. Um, I got blogs sometimes over at RaptorsHQ.com once in <laughs> a while. Blogs. Game recaps, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> once one once in a while I'll blog a little bit, but it's it's kind of few and far between, mostly game related at this point. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, go to our Patreon page as well. Forgot to plug that at the top, but patreon.com slash a basketball with two H's. It's already March 11th, which means we're only like two weeks away from recording our next Patreon mailbag. So please consider getting your submissions in and uh, four bucks gets you in for our mailbags, for the Discord chat, for future fun events like uh, potential future uh, basketball trivia 2.0, all sorts of great things. So please go and subscribe. Patreon.com slash a basketball with two H's is the place to go. That's going to do it for today. Thanks, as always, to the wonderful crew over at Stringer from Clay, Sean, Jess, Michelle, Nick, uh, our wonderful social producer, Paulina, and, of course, producer Dylan. We returned this week triumphantly to mind the ones and twos so, so wonderfully and capably for us. He's the best. 
We love Dylan. And we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again next week with another episode of uh, Basketball? here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.